Good evening, Mendonesia. This is Doug Livingston. Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. And joining me as as he usually has managed over geez, the past almost a year now uh, is Chris Love. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself there, Doug? Well, I'm doing all right. I just had a good five-day visit from my oldest brother. And awesome. We had too much fun. Oh, that's that's even better. When he left, when he left, I must. I told him I'd spent a couple of days recovering from him. Oh, even better. <laughs> I had a, a, a. There was a tradition amongst my friends in high school to conjugate verbs in the plural when my name was the subject. You know, things like Doug are here, as if I were a crowd in the room, and uh, and. I had a good friend who spent an evening with me and Bruce, my older brother, who just visited. And uh, he said, Doug are here, but Bruce are more. <laughs> so anyhow, we have a, a special guest tonight, Josh Brum, uh, who works at a, one of the larger uh, wholesale distributors of solar-related equipment uh, in the country, uh, Solagent. And you're the... What's your title? The director of energy storage or something along those lines? I've forgotten and I don't have it up. Oh no, yeah. Thank you very much for having me, Doug. I'm I'm so thankful to be able to be a part of this conversation uh on the renewable energy hour uh here at KCYX. I am energy storage manager at Solagent. And we're the largest pure play solar distributor in the Americas. But you all know that that this is a a big team effort of of trying to create this emissions free future, right? That we're all trying to make happen together. And you know, there, there are so many players in this business that are working each and every single day uh, to make that happen. And so I, I want to applaud anyone who's in this business. Uh, very proud and thankful. Humble, really. I said proud. I, I'm humble uh, that I get to be a part of such a big, a big project uh, of of a dream come true of mine of having an emissions free future someday. Well, you it's, know, it's definitely been a long road and lots of people contributing. Oh yeah. Hey. So uh, before we start in on the topic, we we were interested in you that you specialize in. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What was your life history? Did you have any special schooling? What's your work history? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so it goes back to when I was a kid. Uh, I live in Central California, uh, raised in Visalia, Tulare County. And my dad, every year, he's a master mechanic for John Deere. And I, I would go stack cores, you know, old batteries that need to be recycled when I was a kid at a shop and uh, worked summers at a place called Pixley Auto Parts in a little tiny rural town. And again, uh, helping people carry their batteries in and batteries out and stocking the batteries. And so that's how I got my start with batteries, not really, you know, intentional about it, just <laughs> a job at the time. But my dad would take me camping every summer. And as we would drive up to the top of the hill, my dad would look down and see that smog covering the entire valley. And he'd look at me and he'd go, Josh, I would love it if you could do something day, someday about that about that that ugly smog and amazingly enough here we are in a business that's doing exactly that so that's how i kind of got my start as far as that dream i never realized that it would truly come to fruition as my dad and you know intended it 
but here we are today. Um, in 2006, uh, I started off in a radio career uh, since 1996, and in 2006, uh, I was given an opportunity to do a sales position for a company called Battery Systems, a uh, large battery distributor, uh, not not centric around solar, sells batteries to all kinds of markets, but that's where I got my bedrock and learning and education uh, on all things energy storage, battery related, uh, any market. And and I remember, I learned. Is, I remember the name. Where were they based? What what's that? Where were they based? Uh, they were based out of uh, uh, Garden Grove and Long Beach okay. Uh, originally. Okay, because I definitely remember and, the name. And well, they they recently were uh, acquired by uh, Continental, and yep. and grew and uh, great company. Uh, their their founder was uh, Harry Streelman, uh, Dead Cell Harry. Uh, you know, taking the old tar tops off of batteries and putting in uh, new cells, and 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 that's how it started. And then his son, uh, Brad Streelman, uh, my mentor. Uh, who who I looked up to and provided a lot of educational opportunities over the last couple of decades for me uh, to be able to learn as much as possible about batteries. What an amazing businessman and, and what an amazing guy. Um, was a world champion, uh, uh, NC2A champion for the USC Trojans, played, I think, defensive uh, back or defensive end for them wow. and played with uh, yeah it, so the guy had a real competitive edge and just but I learned so much uh, he provided so many opportunities it, it, it invested in us as as employees so we had opportunities to come to trainings with vendors and that's where I got all my knowledge and 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 besides just going out and learning from customers as well you go visit a shop whether it's a auto battery or a golf battery uh, you know application or a solar application you know you learn a lot along the way from your customers as well and so uh, m most of my learning has happened by experience, and, and I'm so thankful the opportunities that Brad afforded me while I was at Battery Systems. And uh, while there, um, uh, you know, I, I was looking at, at going around and selling batteries in very small quantities, dollar amounts, and honestly, it was more of a, a financial thing. Like, I, I don't want to sell you know, $2,000 invoices, I want to sell $30,000 invoices. How do I do that, right? And so um, I learned from some other folks, uh, Brian Champlin, a mentor of mine who was working in Colorado and selling to a lot of off-grid uh, customers there. And, and I was like, what are you doing? Well, these are folks that need batteries for, you know, storage for off-grid and explained it to me. And but it was still just, you know, sell a battery when someone needs it, not really the expertise. So I went and knocked on all the doors in Fresno and in the Valley and in Central California to all the solar companies, you know, doing my due diligence as a salesperson. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm with batteries, you know, you know battery systems. I, I, I sell batteries. Can I offer you batteries? That'd be great. But do you know how? Do you know how to size it? Do you know how to, you know, do you know how it works? And all these grid-tie solar companies of which most of them are, um, they had no clue. And that's when I realized, like, wow, I have to invest in my knowledge. And so I made it my mission from that point forward. Yeah, they still mostly don't. <laughs> yeah, most of the grid tied people have never worked with batteries. And uh, I've had actually quite a few jobs over the years 
picking up the pieces for those companies when they tried to do batteries. Um, although that's much less true now than it was 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's it, at the end of the day, it's not as easy as just averaging your kilowatt hour usage, dividing by five, and putting up a PV array and heading on down the road. It's not that easy. I mean, it's easy as far as it's all math. It's energy in versus energy out. Brooke Hanner from Offline Solar Electric in Mariposa, uh, the guy who taught me what a kilowatt hour is. Don Loberg, the original owner of Offline Solar, was the president of CalSIA, now CalSA, California Solar and Storage Association. Uh, Brooke taught me what a kilowatt hour was, and and I learned a lot from him. I went to three out, out, week long Outback out Power classes, and and yeah, it's it's not as easy. It is in a sense that it's all math. It's energy in versus energy out, but it's not the instant gratification sale that these grid tie solar folks are used to. And so trying to get them to, to understand that it's all about customization. There is no one size fits all, right, guys? No, no, especially not when you're talking batteries. Um, and Yeah, we practice set up, you know, like four or five cookie cutter, you know, scenarios for the average customers. And it was like, okay, this, this works for about 30% of the people. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, I remember in the old in the old off grid days, these outfits would keep coming off out with, uh, you know, those sorts of packaged systems. And I said, you know, they're not going to work. You know, some people need twice the array, some people need twice the battery, some people need half the inverter. Um, they don't all yep. they don't all scale together. Yep. Low yeah, they all, they all want a package ABC. Pack, here, here's a high, a low, and a medium. Pick one. It's yeah. like, no, the market wants, that's magic. That's, that's not reality. It's, it's energy in versus energy out. I had a guy call me today. God bless him. Um, and, and, and I'm here to educate, so I don't, I don't begrudge anybody for not knowing, but he calls up and he goes, um, I, I've, I've, you know, figured out the guy needed a 15 kW uh, PV array. And I'm like, okay, times five, that's going to produce about 75 kilowatt hours per day. But, and he goes, well, for the storage, I can just start off with three, six, or nine kilowatt hours, right? And we just add later. It's no big deal, right? He just wants to run a well pump and fridge. And I'm just like, okay, so the fridge is 1200 watts, runs about five hours a day. That's 7200 watts or 7.2 kilowatt hours. So your three kilowatt hour battery that you keep yelling at me about that you have to have that you think will run everything is going to be dead and he cut me off and he goes yeah in about a half hour <laughs> I go, exactly exactly it's and and when i did that and, and you know god bless him he learned and that's the whole point you have to be willing to put aside what the the media is saying as far as how simple it is just plug it into a house no it takes customization. It's energy in versus energy out. What is the name and wattage of every electrical load you want to run? And how many hours or minutes might those loads run? Not on average, but a max use day. If someone thinks they've got whole house backup and they're running it on an average, but they kick on that air conditioner in August, that's not whole house backup. So you've got to figure it out by energy in versus energy out. And if the input is wrong, the, the, the output is going to be incorrect as well right guys yep well and and in the context of the grid timing has become an issue as well as total energy in and out mm -hmm. that's part yeah. of the that's part of the topic that that we brought you on 
today with, to talk about is our our horrendous new rules for grid tied solar that kicked in last month. Uh, there, we've had a number of shows over the past year uh, trying to ramp up the fight against the CPU rule changes that had been proposed. Unfortunately, three quarters of the nasty originally suggested rule changes didn't go into effect. But one absolutely devastating one did, and that's to radically reduce the amount you're credited for power that overflows from your system, power that you did not consume, that you produced extra at the time that went out onto the grid. You used to get essentially the retail price for that, and now you're getting, you know, a quarter of it. Um, yeah, yeah. great, they refer to it. Um, is you're basically getting the wholesale price. Um, yeah, like eight, like eight cents a kilowatt hour, and you know that's not going to give a customer an ROI. Um, you know, and and so how I've talked to some folks about this, um, you know, how do you thrive with storage under NEM three? Uh, again, it's all math. It's energy in versus energy out, so it depends on how you play with that math. So I talked with a customer today who was saying that on average, you know, different times of the day, it's different. You could be charged 40 something cents a kilowatt hour at night. And during the day, you might get charged 30 cents a kilowatt hour. There may be a 10 or 15 cent, you know, per kilowatt hour difference between those two time periods. But on average, uh, he figured it out that his customer was paying about 30 cents a kilowatt hour. And I said, okay. And of course those are going to go up. And then, uh, what I talked to the customer about and what you, the homeowner, need to be thinking about is how do I, if I, if I want to get solar, I'm not, I'm, it's, it doesn't make sense to get solar and then, you know, get eight cents a kilowatt hour when you're not home for what you overproduce. It just, it, it, I mean, it, it's not a, a total horrible loss, but the ROI period, the payback period is like double. It is, it, so if you're looking at it as an investment, it ends up not you know really penciling out but with storage it can and and here's how um if you're paying an average of say 30 cents a kilowatt hour and this installer i, I gave this example or got this example from is, is in the pg and e area which is where our listeners are at today if your average is 30 cents per kilowatt hour you need to have uh your locked in per kilowatt hour cost be less than that so and i'm going to be using some numbers uh these are retail numbers they could be different so these are just examples understood how some of them okay perfect um so what we want to do number one size the pv array your solar panels for a hundred percent offset of your average usage just like you normally would um there's another train of thought and we can go into that later of maybe going smaller and not trying for a total offset and just getting some savings on your bill that's another strategy but let's stick with uh, this strategy first. Call it package A. Um, I hate and, to do that, and, but it is what it is. But also, particularly when storage is involved, that's more practical to do. When you don't have storage involved, I would encourage customers not to go to 100%. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. you could do a, a 2KW array that would offset your bill by about 8 to 10 kilowatt hours per day, and that would pay for itself real quick with no batteries at all. 
Um, just because uh, your your daytime loads are about eight to ten kilowatt hours per day, so it wouldn't be any you wouldn't be sending anything back. You'd just be offsetting what's on in the home when right. the sun is shining. And that's that's worth the retail rate, not the five or eight cents. Exactly, because you're consuming it as opposed to sending it back. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, so it, real quick, go, the, go ahead. The point for for people so that they could understand is that that strategy and scenario works best for people who have pretty significant electrical usage so that they're getting charged tier one, two or three or tier four rates, you know, because they're using beyond their baseline. So they're, they go up in the tiers every month and that if they can, they can use the solar to help eliminate the tiers. If the use timing is right for when the solar is produced, then that could pencil out. Oh, shoot. You get taken off the tier rate structures when you go on solar these days, don't you, Chris? The time of use. The time of I use doesn't have, have tiers. I, uh, yeah, I believe it does still have tiers. It did once upon a time. I didn't think it did anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, this is part of the problem of not always seeing clients' electrical bills after we go on to solar. <laughs> well, the E1 rate structure definitely had tiers, but they take you off that when you go on solar onto a time of use rate structure, which does have different prices, but it's, you know, typically, you know, 8 a.m. to noon is one price and, 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 well, actually these, and, and noon to 9 p.m. is another price, that sort of thing, a higher price. And then, Overnight is a lower price. Is is sort of typical yeah. typical time of use rate structure. Yeah. yeah, supply and demand exactly. And well, if you've got storage um, under NIM three and you're doing a hundred percent offset, you know the way to look at it. And you know I like that idea. Great job, Chris. Um, getting us getting getting a customer to avoid going into the next tier structure if that is you know a part of their plan or their situation that is that could be very applicable um but storage wise if you're doing a hundred percent offset um so do a hundred size your solar panel array for a hundred percent offset under an m three and then and then figure out what is the kilowatt hour number that you're consuming in your home when nobody's at home or your daytime loads from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., let's say. So in that period of time when the sun is shining and the PV array is producing, what, you know, just what's on in the home, again, that could be 8 to 10 kilowatt hours, fridge, freezer, lights, the Wi-Fi, the security cameras, you're at home, you know, you're not at home, you know, uh, uh, you're at, at college or you're at work or your kids are at school or whatever it might be, right? Um, and again, this will vary. I am not trying to be exact here because everybody's number is going to be different. Someone's got their AC on at 60 for their cat, you know, uh, uh, whatever <laughs> their preference is. So everyone's right. You know, everyone's going to have a different some some but. Some people are retired and charging their electric vehicle um, and running their AC during the day. Some people are, you know, have yes. five preschoolers at home and are doing 12 loads of laundry a day and... But others are away at work and, and consuming quite a bit less. Right. So so what we want to do is daytime loads, because of those variables that Doug just mentioned, 
you know, it, it could be all over the map. So figure out for yourself in your home, um, daytime loads. What is the kilowatt hour number that you're consuming during the daytime? Okay, so it, go back to step one. We've sized the TV array for 100% offset of your average daily usage. So the example that I gave the customer was, let's assume, again, this is just an example, let's assume that you're consuming 50 kilowatt hours per day and you've got like about a 10 kW PV array, 10 times five hours peak sun, 50 kilowatt hours. Again, that could differ where you are at geographically speaking, but this is just as an example. So let's assume that you're using about 50 kilowatt hours per day. That, or excuse me, uh, that's your average total daily usage. Therefore, you've made your PV array able to produce that. So your daily PV array production is 50 kilowatt hours. And let's assume, again, this is different for everyone, but let's assume that you're consuming daytime loads about 10 kilowatt hours per a day. So what that would mean is that you would normally under NEM2, if it existed, you would sell back 40 kilowatt hours and get a credit at the retail rate and you'd use it later on in the day. Well, now we can't do that because you're only going to get like 8 cents a kilowatt hour. So you want to store that 40 kilowatt hours. But that's how you figure out the amount of kilowatt hours you need available in usable energy. You take the uh, daytime uh, kilowatt hours of your daytime load, subtract that from your max PV array daily production. That equals the usable energy that you would normally sell back that now needs to be stored. Now, what I do next is I take that 40 kilowatt hours because you don't want a battery cycling at 100% depth of discharge just because it can, because then it's going to maybe get 4,000 cycles, which will barely be like 11, 12 years of life just outside of that 10-year warranty. And so you want to oversize it by 20%. So the battery is sized at 80% depth of discharge and can get maybe 8,000 cycles, which most, most lithium iron phosphate batteries can. And 8,000, if it's one cycle per day divided by 365 equals 21.91 years of life. So you take 40 kilowatt hours of usable storage we've determined you need to store now, divide that by 0.8, which increases it by 20%. So the battery should be discharging at 80% depth of discharge and getting those max life cycles. And that equals 50 kilowatt hours of total storage needed. Now, we picked out some batteries. I, I don't know if we're allowed to say name brands or sure, anything like sure. that. Sure, we've got no problem with okay. that. In fact, we've had we've had battery manufacturers on the show before. Okay, great. So, um, as an example, and and we have other brands and offerings as well. We can mention, but uh, I'll just stick with the one that I talked with the customer in the PG and E zone with this exact conversation with today. If we need fifty kilowatt hours for for storage, uh, there is a Evolt Max uh, eighteen point five kilowatt hour lithium iron phosphate Fortress power battery. Uh, you could use three of those, which would give you fifty five point five total kilowatt hours of storage. And at 80% depth of discharge, one cycle per day, like we sized it, that should get about 8,000 cycles. So what we need to do, and this is the, these are the numbers the, uh, that, that the installer told me they would be charging uh, approximately uh, for these light items to the end user. Again, this can differ, but for the solar converter, 15K with 200 amp internal transfer switch, so it can back up an entire main electrical panel for whole house backup. 
that is very versatile. Um, 8,000 roughly, uh, 36,000 roughly for the three 18.5 kilowatt hour fortress batteries, 55.5 kilowatt hours, and about 30,000 uh, for the 10kW PV array installed, plus about 6,000 miscellaneous cost, roughly about 80,000 estimated cost to the customer. And then minus the federal tax credit of 30%, that comes out to 56,000 for the investment, uh, for the actual investment. Well, here's how you figure out the lifetime kilowatt hour cost versus that 30 cents per kilowatt hour average without solar and without batteries. Yeah, those fortress batteries, if they're going to deliver eight, all lithium iron phosphate at 80% DOD is going to roughly give you 8,000 cycles. So take 8,000 life cycles, multiply that by 55.5 kilowatt hours of total battery. That's the three fortress batteries. That equals 444,000 lifetime kilowatt hours delivered over the 8,000 cycles or 8,000 divided by 365, which is 21.91 years of life. So that means you take your upfront cost, which is after that federal tax credit, uh, the investment, which is 56000 divide that by the 444,000 lifetime kilowatt hours delivered by the, you know, uh, the Fortress batteries, and that equals 12 cents per kilowatt hour locked in over that 8,000 cycles or 21.91 years of life versus the 30 cents per kilowatt hour from the utility that that customer was averaging without solar and without batteries. So, with just a little bit of math, we're able to show an ROI to the customer with storage versus nothing. Uh, forgive me if I went too fast uh, no, there. That, that, I, I hope that was... Well, uh, some people probably were glad it was over, <laughs> and others were probably following along just fine. Um, and 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 so, you know, you came to the conclusion it was roughly, came out to $0.12 cents a kilowatt hour versus the $0.30 cents a kilowatt hour they would have been paying, and the $0.30 cents is probably going to go up over time. Yes, yes, and, and the and, 12 cents is locked in, yeah. And do you ever... Go ahead, sir. I was thinking, do you ever uh, consider downsizing that? Because a lot of people would have a hard time shelling out the 80 grand up front and waiting for the tax credit in April or what have you. Um, do you ever consider downsizing it so the system is just going to offset during the peak hours of the evening and not try to offset the cheap overnight consumption that would seem to have an even quicker roi bigger roi yes yes as a matter of fact it's in the same vein of the conversation of having the grid tie only solar of two or three kilowatt hours um, that's going to offset just daytime loads and just save on the bill. Same concept because we are charged 40, maybe even 50 cents a kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. depending on where you're at during that period of time at night. So absolutely. And, and, so that, and overnight it's quite so, a bit cheaper. So you're not, you know, it's 12 cents versus, you know, 20 cents instead of 30 or right. 40. Um, and it's a right, bit and, more on the line of what we would call a grid tied battery backup system where you're determining some critical loads to back up, and that's the only thing you're putting on the batteries in general. Yes, yes. The the whole house backup scenario I just mentioned is optimal. 
if you want to get, you know, really take advantage of NEM3 and self-consume all of that and sell none of it back, the Solark has limit home use, so you can self-consume it all and not export anything. Uh, but if you're talking about another strategy, so that's the key is, is there's multiple strategies. Not everybody's going to have all that money to shell out or they can't take advantage of the tax credit. And so they can't make that big upfront investment. So absolutely. What are you consuming between four and, and 9 PM every single night and build a lithium iron phosphate or storage system, uh, for that period of time? Absolutely. And, and well, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware, uh, Josh, that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, somewhat of a misnomer. Um, it's really a climate bill. Standalone storage. <laughs> it, uh, Stand well, storage. not not just that, but they uh, have have made the uh, the investment tax credit uh, as a direct payment for nonprofit and government entities who who couldn't take advantage of a of a tax credit since they didn't pay any taxes before. Now they're going to be That's able to. Phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. Chris, you had something you wanted to throw in? Well, yeah, I wanted to just point out it's kind of a reminder of things we talked about. So, you know, the listeners, you know, understand some of the key things with the tax credit stuff. And that I'll preface it first by saying I'm not an accountant. Anybody should absolutely seek the guidance of a tax professional based on their their assets and their, their funds. Um, but... You know, you have three years to take advantage of the tax credit from, you know, the year that the system is put into use. And if you don't have tax liability, then the tax credit doesn't apply to you. You have to have tax liability. So if you don't have income that's taxed of some sort, then 30 percent of nothing is nothing. Right. With with the exception of the new rule for nonprofits and and government entities. Well, hey, in general, here we're talking mostly to residential folks. Yeah, poor people who aren't making much uh, may not be paying enough taxes to to fully well, and, utilize and if, that. And if you're li- if you're, if you're listening right now and you're a homeowner, and and again, Chris, you're absolutely right. Not everybody can take advantage of the federal tax credit, and and so forgive us if if this doesn't apply to you. But I think it's still exciting news and warrants being discussed. Uh, the IRA Inflation Reduction Act actually included a 30% federal tax credit for standalone storage. So that means if you don't need solar, you 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 can't have solar on your roof. You can't have you know you've got trees surrounding shade everywhere. There's no way to really make solar viable for you and your property. But you want to get some relief on your bills. Well, check this out. Standalone storage using something like a hybrid inverter like Solar Converter that allows for no solar whatsoever. You can actually size your storage so that you can offset uh, higher rates. In other words, use the grid to charge your batteries when the rates are low. Are low and use the uh, batteries to discharge to your loads when the rates are high, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, now that 30% federal tax credit applies. Hey, I, we have had multiple persistent callers trying to call in. This is a little earlier than I planned, but do you guys mind opening up the phone lines a bit early? Oh, that'd be great, Chris. With me. All right. Um, now, I have to say that, um, oh, gosh. 
<laughs> well, let me let me remind listeners listening if they want to join the conversation, the studio uh, line here in Philo is 707-895-2448. And we had at least two callers on the line. One just dropped off. Uh, Chris, did you remember? Yes. With PG&E to do a no solar battery system, um, then you're going to have a trickier interconnection process. Yes, yes. And you're not going to be allowed to just charge that battery up in an hour or two, and the PG&E is going to make you stick to your peak loading profile that you already have and not allow you to add, say, 10 kilowatts to your hourly load. Um, so there's, you know, there's some... There are some rules. Also, the building department will be a little pickier, too. Yeah, some minutiae and I'm trickery that will have to go into programming those devices, and you will have to stick to it because you will have a smart meter, and PG&E will know exactly what's going on every 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, the idea, Chris, is that is that you set it up as zero export, so you're not selling anything back. You're not ever sending any, anything back onto the grid. You're only right. powering your loads uh, when the rates are high. You're never exporting. That's right. Well, key, he, he's saying that they may be concerned about you ramping up your consumption to much higher than it used to be uh, when you're charging your batteries. Yeah, because interconnection hmm. isn't just solar anymore with PG&E. It's about the battery systems also. And when you go in to do an interconnection uh, application and you're doing batteries, batteries is the largest part of that application. They, they want some pretty extraordinary detail on how the system is actually going to be operated. And it, yeah. and it can be pretty complicated because their, you know, their interconnection guide doesn't actually refer to all of the specific options you have for discharge or charging your system and all the different methodologies you might use and there's you know like I mean, like charging from midnight to 5 a.m. when when there's you know everyone sleeping kind of kind of like right kind of charging your batteries at that time uh, that's not really taxing the grid but but they don't really account for that in their nomenclature yet do they chris um, well, there there is sections in the interconnection process where you are determining you are determining that with your application that you you know you have to really think about this beforehand because once yeah. you're locked in that interconnection agreement, you're really not supposed to change without getting a new agreement or a modified agreement with them under so, new under new rules. Hey, we've had a very patient caller. I hope is still waiting quietly in the background. Are you there, caller? Uh, this is Joey. Joey, how you doing? Hey, Joey, what's up? So I used to sell solar down in Covina in L.A. And the one thing that I found is if you don't have a southwest-facing home that doesn't have a tree or power pole or something that doesn't intrude the sunlight during the year, you end up losing that grid of solar panels. And I haven't heard that really talked about. Oh, we we've definitely oh. talked about that before. Although, uh, well, I, actually, maybe I haven't heard it, but on, I, I I'm just saying. Um, on the on the last show, we we actually pointed to some research that suggests that Southwest is about optimal, uh, but South is almost as good and West is almost as good. It's a surprisingly little difference uh, as yeah. you rotate around the clock there. Exactly, and so I used to have a program that would show me 
throughout the year when I did analysis on a home where the shade would cause from a power pole or a tree mm-hmm. to knock out a part of a grid and you weren't getting full optimal yep. um, solar energy yep. from that grid. Shade is not good well, news for a solar array. That's very true. Yeah. Exactly. So I just, I, just wanna, I just wanna point that out, you know, um that sometimes it's not optimal for every single root because of a tree or a power pole or something might knock out the grid because of the shade during the year. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's not always 100% you're going to get absolutely, everything, absolutely. everything and, you need from a solar unit. Cool. Yes. Good. If you have 50% shading on your site, then you need twice the, twice the amount of solar to meet your goal. Well, and it depends on the time of day of the shading. Yeah, you know, if you if you've got if the 50% of the shading is, you know, for example, for a south facing array at a 30 degree tilt, if you're shading the panel for half of the 12 hour day on average 12 hour days of light, but that half is the first uh 3 hours in the morning and the last three hours in the afternoon, you would you would still be getting about eighty percent of what you would have been getting with no shade at all. Of course, that doesn't take into account the different rate structures, uh, and we want to optimize afternoon and into the evening because of the yeah. time of use rate structures. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I was kind of I was kind of bought out with companies offering free solar run homes, but people didn't understand it by putting solar panels on the home by a company who was offering free solar meant that they had uh, a contract on your home and they can do a lien on your home for putting an array on your home. Yeah, look at any contracts from free solar very, very cautiously. Yeah, Yeah. people do cautious, but... but, Thank you guys for your show. Hey, and, you're uh, welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Good point. I love you guys. Mm. Bye bye. Eight nine five two four four eight. We just had another caller who dropped off. There they are back again, or a new one. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, how are you guys? I've really liked your show. Oh, good. We, we we're not glazing your eyes over. No, I actually really enjoy it when it gets technical. But I have a. Uh, a comment. I listened to you guys a couple of weeks ago, was probably a month ago, and I went to the PG&E site to try to get set up for their, you know, their level two before it went to level right, three. Right, right. And it was impossible. It, it was so a nightmare. Was, it's it's so much more complicated now than it was just a year ago. Yeah. So what we actually it's, it's still complicated for people to do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's the thing. We we called PG&E, and we spoke to someone who said, you're too late to have it done by a professional. The only way you will get level two now is if you do the entire thing yourself, and once you've done that, there's no other way that you can change it. And we were like, excuse me? All we want to do is sign up for level two. No, you can't do that because you don't have a contractor unless you're willing to do the entire thing with no official solar support yourself. And yeah. I was like, excuse me? Yeah, they, That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it does make but sense. I, they don't want you on the old rules. They want you on the new rules. Exactly. 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 So, they're, they're, they're a lot more evil than they used to be. 
I swear, what a scam! Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm questioning more and more whether we should even allow investor-owned utilities. It's. I just came back from Florida, and my 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 mother has a Tampa account. Go, and they pay eight point three cents a kilowatt hour. <laughs> Hard to go solar at that rate, huh? I don't- no, it's it's really more about you know when there's an outage, how much is a kilowatt hour worth? That's ah. what it comes down to. When you're in Florida and you're in hurricane country, resilience is actually a bigger question in Florida than it is California. Yeah, people are selling battery systems left and right in Florida constantly. I think at a higher rate with solar than they are in California. Wow. A bottle of clean water in the desert is worth a lot, right, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> And that's part of where this whole battery thing, like with the SGIP program with the state, so you know the um, the self generation incentive program started with commercial and industrial, because for them it's really easy to calculate the value of a lost kilowatt hour. It's not sentimental; it's about production and revenue. So, you know, the average for a business is about a hundred dollars lost revenue per kilowatt hour. So, if you you know, make a backup system that eliminates all your demand charges in the morning when you start up your facility, but then you also have enough storage to get through, you know, an average three or 12 hour outage, you know, in your area, then, Hey, everybody can keep working. And so it makes a whole lot of sense. We're in the residential world. It's a little harder to calculate that it's really a custom decision personal decision of what that kilowatt hour is worth because you know, some people just say I can light a candle. Yeah, losing the refrigerator and losing the freezer or not being able to run an oxygen machine or whatever, you know, these are critical personal decisions. And we have another patient caller waiting in the wings. Hello, caller. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I have kind of an off-the-wall question, and I'm sure somebody there can. We we probably have off-the-wall answers for you. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, I just upgraded my very old solar array. To, um, I had twenty. I had twenty four panels that were like two fifties, mm-hmm. and I upgraded them to twenty four panels that are four fifties. And so I did that because I'm eventually going to get an electric car. Mm-hmm. But um, but my question is, I bought these panels through a New York company, and they came from Sacramento, and four of them came with the glass completely shattered. Yeah, that's a and shipping so, problem. Yeah, that is a shipping yeah, problem. Yeah, And they, they, they would you know, not replace the hours panels. They would not they replace not re- the panels. Um, no, did did you pursue not. a claim with the shipping company? Um, the shipping company falls back on the um, manufacturer, which is in Sacramento. But anyway, I, I this is this is like a year and a half old. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm stuck with these four panels that the glass is completely shattered. It's not broken out, but it's fractured mm-hmm. the whole thing. And I had a solar person up here um, a couple weeks ago, and they said that you could probably still use those panels. But no, they 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 will fail within five years and probably within one year due to the water penetration that's going to happen yeah. once they're out in the weather. 
there's that a real safety. What about there's a rain? Real what about safety rain? Uh, there's also there's, safety concern Chris is pointing out. Yeah, there's a very real fire and safety concern because, um, you know, damaged electrical circuits inside of a solar module when they start to corrode can lead to yeah. fires. Uh, this is what happened with BP Solar because they had bad soldering on their on their uh, their ribbons, um, and just one bad solder could potentially lead to a fire in a module. So, because when that glass is cracked, water can infiltrate. So there also means that there's there's a shock or electrocution hazard, right. uh, particularly if you're running a higher voltage array above above 80 volts. Mm -hmm. Which a lot of uh, a lot of direct grid tied systems are you know running up toward five hundred volts open yeah, circuit. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so, well, that's, yeah, that's those the are, part those are absolutely those are nothing but landfill. That's all they are at this point. And incidentally, really? Chris, you have to have you have to have uh, uh, failed bypass diodes for that bad solder to cause a fire. So it was really two problems. Gotcha. Um, uh, and where where are the diodes? Are they on the? They're back of they're the probably panel? not accessible anymore in most modern panels. They're inside that little black box ah. on the back where the pigtail wires go to on a typical modern panel. I would suggest to you that they're not entirely landfill. We don't have a good way to recycle the glass and the the silicon chips in them. But most frames yeah. most frames are very easily disassembled. And and that's aluminum that could go to you know a scrap metals dealer in Ukiah or or Willits or wherever you are. And I'm pretty sure no, that the Ukiah transfer station is doing that, and that you know it used to be that they would say, yeah, just throw the solar module up there with your garbage, but now they tell us to mm -hmm. put it in the electrical area. Ah, and so they're sending that to somebody who's who's managing all that stuff. I'm pretty sure. But if you wanted to recover the aluminum value, you could do it yourself. That's really easy. Otherwise, okay, but, you know, but mostly, mostly what I'm interested in is the danger. So you're saying that the cracked glass, when it rains on them, because the array is not on my roof, it's away um, from the house. So you're saying when it rains, the rain will get in there and it will sort out the electrical in there. And it, it will degrade possibly, the performance yeah. at the very least over time. And there are some serious potential safety hazards associated with yeah. that broken glass. You could have electricity okay. flowing through the frame of the module itself, such that if somebody touches it and becomes ah. the path ground, and then they become part of the circuit. And God forbid that panel's at 400 volts. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, especially yeah, they're the same size. They're the same size as the, uh, well, the other Well, it depends on, on yeah. how, how they're wired together and what inverter they're feeding, what voltage they're going to be at. Yeah, so from an electrical well, standpoint here, real quick... So AC electricity is what we normally have in our houses. DC is like our cars, but solar runs on right. DC. So 250 yes, volts DC is the same safety consideration as 600 volts AC. So Ooh. DC electricity has the potential to literally blow muscle off your bone, where AC mm. doesn't do that type of thing. You know, it can cook you. Um, but DC is, right. is, is a greater safety concern than AC electricity in general when you get above okay. 80. I will not, I mean, as a professional, I just, I just couldn't ever tell anybody that it's, that it's worth trying unless they are in emergency survival situation. Is the only oh, time it's no. or or it's just a single panel running straight to a pump or something like that. I wouldn't be as concerned. 
Uh, right, because no, then you're no, running like 45 volts. The <laughs> this would be joined with the other 20 panels. Well, so. do you have do you have micro inverters or do you have a string inverter? Do you know what brand inverter you have? Um, I got a really I bought it the biggest inverter that was going to fit the twenty four panels. Um, so now it's only accommodating twenty panels. So um, um, yeah, it sounds like a string inverter. I'm betting that's a string inverter, and you're wired in long series strings, so you've got high high voltages in your array. So all yeah, the more reason right. don't go there. You're running 250 okay. to 550 every day, all day. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, that's what I wanted to hear. And, I wanted to and hear I'd consider small claims court for your, uh, for your panel denial. Well, I, 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 yes, yes, I know, but they're in New York. Yeah. And I don't want to the go problem to with The problem with shipping is that, you know, you have to open up the package immediately, and when you notice the damage, you have to report it to the shipper within 48 hours to make the claim. Otherwise, they will always deny it. Now, there's ways to fight back and, and you know, change their decision. But if it's not done within 48 hours, you can just about forget about it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Too I, much I went around and around with them. It was, it was wrapped up. It's completely um, in, not bubble wrap, but blue plastic wrap. And I, it was delivered to my electrician's house in Cloverdale. So he unwrapped it. And when he got to the bottom, it looked like a forklift that was lifting it, had broken through. In fact, the pallet they were sitting on was broken. So the forklift lifted through the pallet and broke the bottom four panels. Boy, I sure wish that electrician had inspected that close enough to realize there was a problem the day it was delivered. Yeah, they call it concealed damage. That's the terminology in the shipping world is concealed damage because they can't expect that whoever their driver is that delivers the material is going to stand there and hang out while you unpackage the materials. They so, refuse to, exactly, yeah. Yes, you have to have a right to make that claim against them because you couldn't inspect the package fully before they drove away. You know, right. so if you know right. any no, damage on the outside of a package, you always write it on the bill of lading so it's recorded. So, you know, because right. it's usually not the driver, it's usually whoever's loading the trucks, you know at the warehouse right, or, right. you know, the distribution right. center for shippers. Well, it, it's, once again, deal with local people. That's what the and, lesson learned is. <laughs> deal only you with know, local people. I have received endless amounts of pallets of solar modules in my business, and I have de-sealed, de- dealt with concealed damage in about 15 to 20% of those pallets. Wow. Yeah. It's hard, wow. To, yeah. hard to ship solar. It is really, that high, really that, that that high, Chris. Yeah, that's wow. why a lot of installers just really want to just buy whole pallets, and they want to buy multiple pallets. And they just want to put them up because then they, if they've got one broken, they've got an extra one in the shop. You know, but yeah. the smaller installers tend to buy exactly what they need, and that can be problematic, especially if uh, you know there's like only a hundred in the sh- you know it, it's Solagent, and I buy. 26 of them, (laughs) you know, by the time I get, I know there's damage, they might all be gone. And you can't get that exact module or in that size. Since I, since I sized the whole system to having 24 panels, I probably will eventually buy four more panels and put, because the array is big enough to hold them. Don't wait too long because they probably need to match those. Yeah. Don't wait. Oh, yeah, it's already been a year and a half. Those, those modules might not even be available in a year and a half now. 
They have to be the same brand to be in. They, they, in, in most systems like what we're guessing yours is, they should be absolutely identical amperage. Uh-huh. And, uh, and if you're paralleling strings together, you, they need to be identical voltage, too. And that's going to be the same brand, make, and model. Yes. And then you also, and they're, and they're, they're also dimensions issues, too. Yeah, you have the sizing concerns of actually, of actually mounting them, you know, on your rack. You have these sizing concerns where, you know, things have to match up or you're getting into some really complicated minutiae. To, right, to mount right. a different size module on a rack that's made for a certain size module. So what was your right. other question? My other question was, I had this uh, solar guy up here, and because I had four missing panels, one array had 12 panels, and the other array had eight. And they're wired to two different places in the inverter. A and, and it said, and he told me, well, because the inverter's reading the smaller of the two arrays only and which doesn't make any sense to me it's but, you know, reading it's like, the smaller of the two arrays only yeah, that doesn't make yeah. sense to me either there are a lot of uh string inverters which is what we think you have that have two different maximum powerpoint tracking inputs and so you can have two different string lengths one feeding to one mppt and one feeding to the yeah. other they are what we call isolated yeah. on the input side. <laughs> yeah, you're not actually. Well, he, came, he came up. He came up and and put two of the panels from the twelve onto the eight panels. And okay, we suddenly we suddenly got a lot of sun. All of a sudden, it went up to seven point whatever. Okay, to the PG and E. Yeah. So it sounds like so, you you did not have uh, two maximum PowerPoint trackers. Yeah, it sounds like maybe an old school style inverter. No, it's a brand new, brand new, cost a fortune. But <laughs> and uh, this is grid tie, right? Yes, and I'm grid tied, right? And, right. And did he did he apply for a new uh, interconnection agreement? No. Uh oh. Well. Yeah. We're not uh, we're not saying your name or address on the air. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Just because I'm now producing more electricity. Yep. If, if your inverter increased by m more than ten percent, then your yeah. old your old interconnection agreement's no longer valid. You need to reapply yeah. under the new rules. It is a breach of contract. Really? And this is yeah. the Sonoma Clean Energy, the same as that's who I have. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually PG and E because it's their transmission lines. Yeah, they are the grid operator. Sonoma Clean Power is a power broker, so they're the ones that are buying and selling power for us. But PG&E is the, right. the shipping company, so to speak. Yeah, they deliver and, and receive. So I should call them and say that I've got new solar and um, reapply? Uh, I don't want to say should. I, I don't want to say should either. Legally, yes. Okay, because they haven't. They have. I mean, there's been no hiccups in my bills, and they're and they're showing that that they're going to owe me money at the end of the true up period. They may they they may eventually figure it out that hey, this uh, this this customer's suddenly producing more. producing more power than they should be able to with the size of system we have on file. Yeah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe I'll wait for them to figure it out. There's, it's all math. There's no hiding. 
these things. Although, although, who's who's to say that you're not just up there washing your panels and all the dirt off your panels every day suddenly, and, and consuming a lot less power on in the house. <laughs> T- tongue yeah, in cheek, yeah. but yes, right? Yeah, those panels were 18 years old. The ones I got rid of. Yeah, you might want that that electric vehicle sooner than later, so that you can turn that into a load that you know offsets it, it, what you would is less visible to them. Exporting yeah, to the well, YouTube. Listening, listening to your first part of your show, uh, yeah, PG is going to do that. It'd be best to use everything I produce for sure. So yeah. Well, uh, since 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 you uh, didn't uh, change your system, you're still on the old rules. Although actually, you may be converted to the new rules in just a couple of years if it's an 18 year old system. Yeah. Uh huh. You only had 20 year on the, the guaranteed on the old rules. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. I didn't know yeah, I, I mean, it. at this point, it's probably worth you going back and actually reading your interconnection agreement because you got some surprises coming. I don't know if I even have one of those agreements. I mean, this was this is back when they gave you 30% of the cost of putting it in, in you know, pages. The state. That's far back. Yeah. Yeah. The state. Yeah. Yeah. The feds, the feds will give you thirty percent now. That was back when the state was, and the Fed wasn't doing anything. Uh, but no, this this was uh, you basically back then. You basically just told the the utility company that you were putting in solar. It's this size. This is our inverter. Yeah. This is our panel. This is how many panels, and that was about all the application was back then. Yeah. Now it's now it's twelve pages. pages. Oh, and that's okay. Simple. Twelve pages. This might be let sleeping dogs lie, Terry. Uh, I don't know. Th- that's <laughs> why we were hesitant to say you should call them, but yeah, I but you. we could I probably get you. in trouble for not saying that you should. Okay, all right. I take. It's eighteen years old, though. Hard. You definitely need a copy of that interconnection agreement so you can get a sense of the surprises that are coming oh, for you. Shoot, they will be they will be significant. Hey, we got to say good night. Okay. Oh my God. Thank you so very much. I really learned a lot. And Josh. What an adventure. Uh, you didn't get to say a word in the last half hour of the show, and we are about to sign off and, and get taken off the air by the computer. But thanks for coming. And get taken off the air by the computer. But thanks for coming. Well, good night, everybody. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.